On this episode, we investigate the core values clients are seeking in a financial advisor. We'll uncover the deeper aspects of working with an advisor that holds significance when choosing and continuing to work with a financial professional. All coming up today on Retire Smarter. Great show on the way today. Walter Storholt here with you alongside Tyler Emmerich, certified financial planner and a chartered financial analyst. Can't wait to talk about today's topic and talk about what people value in working with a financial advisor. It's going to be fun to dig into all of that. Tyler, it's great to be with you this week. Uh, how's life treating you right now? Happy to be here, Walt. Life, life's doing well. No complaints on my end whatsoever. I feel like here in Northeast Ohio, we got a string of uh, sunny weather. Like the whole month of January, I felt like was, um, you know, I don't think I felt or seen the sun the entire month. Um, and this past week has been pretty good. I even got the girls outside to ride around on their bikes uh, this past weekend. And it, you know it's bad when we're outside and it's 40 degrees and it feels like 65, 70. <laughs> so. when, you're, when you're relishing the 40s, you've had a bad string yes. before that, right? It was. I was in the office. And I was telling everybody, I went out to grab some lunch and I was like, you guys got to get outside. It's amazing. You should just literally walk around the office or something. And literally it was like 40, 45 degrees out. <laughs> Everyone's looking at the temperature <laughs> and they're like, is he okay? Like, I don't think so. <laughs> That's right. So <laughs> When you've yeah. had zeros and negatives and things like that, you start appreciating 40, I think. so. It is. It is. I hate to default to open it up with the weather, right? But uh, yeah, I felt, felt it was uh, extra appropriate. When here it's notable. We, uh, when it's notable, forward. Tyler. And 40, 40 something was notable for you so that's good that's, <laughs> that's terrible <laughs> oh good stuff it is, well it is what it is glad so. uh, glad you've got a little bit of uh, a light at the end of the tunnel well what the uh, the groundhog saw a shadow or didn't see a shadow right so we're, we're supposed to be in for an earlier spring it sounds i don't like. know if it was either one but i think we were definitely in for an earlier spring i remember my wife saying something about it when we got home about hey we're, we're on for some good weather and i was like what are you talking about and she mentioned the groundhog so i don't know if it's seen shadow or not um but i think early spring is whatever came of it yeah, it sounds like that was the verdict. So we'll see if that uh, is what actually comes to fruition here over the yeah. next few weeks. But Well, speaking of my, my wife, that's actually kind of what a conversation with her sort of prompted the whole uh, premise behind today's oh, episode. Oh, perfect. Yeah, oh, t- okay. Absolutely. So yeah, tell us the background. What's uh, what got into this? A little bit. All right. So we, we were having a conversation and uh, she was talking about uh, an individual that uh, she had worked with. And she's like, hey, I was talking to so-and-so and I mentioned that you manage stocks and bonds and that you might be able to help them out. And I was like... Oh, well, super appreciative, right? Thank you. I appreciate you bringing it up. That's great. But I'll tell you what, Walt, when she said, yeah, I told him that you manage stocks and bonds, it kind of set me back a little bit. That, like, that stung, huh? Hmm. Yeah, it, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. It's like, I wonder if that's the first thing that comes to mind when she thinks about well, what do I do on a day in and day out basis? And of course, me overthinking everything, then I go kind of down the rabbit hole and start thinking, well, hmm. You know, if that's what my wife's saying and leading with on what I do on a day in and day out basis, you know, if I were to ask the same questions to the clients that you know, we work with here, you know, I wonder what they would say and how they would answer that question. And if my perception of what I hope they would say matches up with that reality of what they actually would. That is cool. I love the concept. Great episode. Also, I have to give you kudos for your segue, um, transitioning from that conversation about the family and your conversation with your wife and the weather and and spring and the groundhog 
into uh, today's topic. Well done, my friend. Uh, nice. So I'll take the win. Yeah, I'll take you're, the win. You're going sure. to be hosting shows before <laughs> before you know it. You'll be doing doing even more and more of the setup. So well I don't done. know about that, but but to be fair, I will say that you know this idea and this concept of thinking about well, what value uh, do we add and provide to the families uh, and clients that we work with? It's not something that we don't think about often. Uh, yeah, that's terrible wording on that. I think the way I put that, but it is something that's always on our mind. I guess is a better way for me to phrase that, uh, Walt. Well, you want and, people to have the right perception and and reality to match, so mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense. That it's something that you guys, as as you know, people who run a business and want people to be comfortable in working with you and understanding what you're doing for them with their life savings, you want those things to align and not to have a lot of misconceptions there. So that makes sense. Sure. Well, it's challenging. I mean, finding an advisor and finding someone that you trust is, is, is challenging. You know, experience, competency, trustworthiness, fee transparency. I mean, among a host of other things are all essential. And that value um, that families receive must be more than the cost. So how do you make the right choice? How do you start to begin to decide, do I start working with a financial advisor? Do I continue uh, working with the financial advisor that I'm with now? or, Or do I make a change? And one of the ways that we think about trying to answer that question and trying to understand that value that we provide is through anonymous client surveys. Um, we feel like they're probably the most valid way to gain that honest, valuable feedback. Um, and that's something that here at True Wealth Design, we conduct those blind surveys on a regular basis. We use a third party to continually you know, really strive for improvement and making sure that we understand what our clients are asking for and what they value most on our relationship. And, you know, over the years, we've done this a number of times, and it's very clear um, that the certain things keep coming to the top of that list and with that communication back to us. Things like understanding uh, our clients' financial needs and goals and helping them gain a sense of security and peace of mind and progressing towards those goals is something that really always kind of comes up towards the top. Not necessarily the stocks and the bonds piece of it, but that goal and sense of peace of mind um, are always there at the top. Now, when we get to the end of the podcast today, I'll probably, or I will, I'll run through a, a list of really what those top things are. So for those of you that are listening that are maybe looking for a financial advisor, I think it'll be a nice list for you to kind of go down to and say, hey, am I ready to start working with an advisor? Should I start working for an advisor? And for those of you that are already working with someone, well, hey, is that person giving me these things? This is what most families are expecting and trying to get out of that uh, that of relationship. And as I think about just this general concept of, well, a firm such as ourselves trying to get better and, and trying to improve and doing these anonymous client surveys, then that's something that is very good for families to really just start and ask as they're starting to interview financial advisors and come to say, well, have you done any client surveys and what are your clients saying about the services that you're providing to gain a a little bit of insight into feedback on, well, hey, are they having successful relationships already? And kind of, you know, peek behind the curtain a bit into what that company is doing. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, glad that you guys were able to seek that feedback and, and sets you up nicely to kind of, I guess, dig in a little bit to helping answer your wife's question and uh, the similar questions that other people might have and, and trying to see those different perceptions of you. It does. We, we think it's extremely important. Um, the third party that we use is uh, actually Net Promoter Score, NPS. And uh, that was created, I think, by a company called Bain & Company back in the 
I think the Harvard Business Review actually featured it back in the early 2000s. And you know, something like two thirds of the Fortune uh, 1000 companies use it to measure client satisfaction. Um, and the way that the survey really tries to get down into that is it says, it asks one single question. Um, you know, on a scale from zero to 10, how likely would you be to recommend our company to a friend? And if you think about that one single question, it really gets to the heart of client satisfaction. And of course, in everything that we do, from the advice we give, the service experience, the outcomes clients receive, you know, all relative to the advisory fees paid, they all culminate into that client satisfaction. So you know, that question we feel is a wonderful one to kind of get that non-biased feedback on how we're doing. And then the NPS score or that net promoter score you know, ranges from zero to 100. And you know, we promote uh, our scores quite a bit on our website. Um, because they are significantly higher than the average uh, wealth advisor in our industry. So our scores uh, for all families we work with uh, are at 81. Uh, and then for clients in our private client group, it was as high as 97. And to kind of compare that to the industry average for a wealth manager, it was in like the mid 40s. So we take quite a bit of pride in that. And shoot, I bet some listeners might even know NPS score or run into it at the jobs that they have uh, from there. Is that something you guys use, Walt? Or have you ran into NPS? No, I feel like I've heard that term a lot. Mm-hmm. N- NPS, maybe in a different National Park Service. Maybe that's where I've seen it before. <laughs> <laughs> hey, being sure in Colorado, I'm, I'm sure there's that. many different uh, different businesses that might have the NPS feature. But uh, but yeah, that's pretty pretty cool. Yeah, so these, these these anonymous client surveys are a great place to start. Um, and there's been, as with anything, right, our field is very, very well researched. And a lot of the big companies in the industry, uh, names like uh, Vanguard and InvestNet, have all done their own studies to really try to quantify and explore this idea of, you know, what do families get out of working with a financial advisor? You know, Vanguard survey was called Advisor Alpha. InvestNet survey is called Capital Sigma. Um, And when you get down into the nitty gritty of these surveys, they're fine. I mean, they're great, uh, but they can get very technical very quickly. I mean, what if I did an episode on them? Boy, I can't only imagine how many egg headlers I've gotten going down through it, right? Um, so, well, I mean, you know, it's in their name, right? Vanguard Advisor Alpha, InvestNet Capital Sigma. I mean, Greek, uh, it, you know, it just it doesn't start off right on the right foot. Now, yeah. of course, a lot of our listeners are very technical and they like that nitty gritty detail. Um, and if you just run a quick Google search, these are uh, surveys and studies that you can easily access. I mean, the Vanguard one always fascinates me uh, much, right? So they kind of... Uh, looked at and said, well, what are these the things that an advisor does and adds specific value uh, to a client? And what is the actual basis point? And when I say basis point, that's just a fancy term for added return or added percentage return uh, to a, a client's net worth. And they looked at the main ones, and I'll just list them out without going into too much detail, definitely run a, a search if you're interested in this more. But, you know, they they said the big places an advisor is going to add value technically is going to be cost-effective implementation of a portfolio, so expense ratios, rebalancing of a portfolio, behavioral coaching, asset location, a spending strategy or withdrawal order. Um, were the main areas that a financial advisor is going to add value in that relationship. And they said that the range of added value could be 
or exceed 3% uh, net returns, which when I look at that coming from a company like Vanguard, you you think Vanguard, right? Extremely low cost passive investing strategies. And then they come and their study is saying, hey, working with an advisor could add up to or exceed 3% net return for clients per year. It's really a staggering number uh, to think about. Yeah, really kind of changes the way that you view that that value conversation. Oh, it does. Absolutely. Now, of course, there's always another side of the story. And those uh, studies are wonderful. Um, but uh, today, I wanted to really dive into more of the that value of advice aspect, and really use our client survey or net promoter score, and pair it with uh, some work that Morningstar has done, and really use it as a jumping off point to tackle uh, some of these ideas and other concepts of the value uh, clients are getting with working uh, with a finance financial advisor. Uh, so really, I want to just kind of list off and, and maybe rank what families are saying and clients are saying are their most valuable thing that they're get, and then go down a list of about three to four as we kind of uh, transition and uh, end the podcast here today. Can't wait to hear so, what you found. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So the first one uh, that comes up, uh, I already kind of um, headlined it a little bit here earlier in the podcast, but you know, clients value an advisor who helps them reach their financial goals above anything else. And when you look into the definition of financial goals and you're starting to think about that as you're listening, you know, this can be a wide array of items. Of course, you know, the title of our podcast is Retire Smarter. So retirement is uh, you know, one of those big goals that a lot of individuals and families have uh, with working with us. But they can be as granular as uh, a small business owner who's having trouble separating their personal and business finances and trying to understand how much they should put back into the business and how much they should be saving for retirement and you know, manage where their money goes and make sure that it's going towards its best use case scenario. Uh, so again, financial goals is, is very broad. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I uh, disagree with that by any means as being number one. I just think, and I would expand on it a little bit further, if I may. Um, and instead of just saying financial goals, I would just say your goals. Um, because frankly, at the end of the day, uh, Walt, you know, the money and the finance aspect is just a tool. It's in my opinion, not just the end goal, if that makes sense. Yeah. Just a a piece of the puzzle. Piece of the puzzle. Right. Um, and, and the way that I think about that, um, or the way that jumps around in my mind is I think back on a few families, uh, and individuals I worked with over the years and, you know, one sticks out, um, really top of mind. And that was, uh, you know, an individual, she had uh, started working with me about a handful of years ago. Um, And she's a single parent. She's been working most of her life. Of course, she's in her early 50s. And what triggered her to start talking to me was she wanted to have a plan in place to say, hey, when can I actually retire? Um, I've never sat down and actually ran through the numbers to see where I stand and where I'm at. And as with anything, when we go through a financial plan, you know, that entails getting to know really what they're trying to accomplish and those goals. And through that conversation and over the course of uh, a few different meetings, it became very clear to me that she had a decision coming up with her daughter. Um, Her daughter was getting ready to head into a private high school. And um, she herself had went to a private high school in the area, but it was one of the more expensive ones. Um, And, you know, this is uniquely, I guess, 
similar to my situation as I think about my two little girls. Not that I'm considering private high school, but hey, I perk up a little bit when I think about families making these decisions uh, because I'm going to have to make a, a similar decision at some point. But she was um, between two private high schools, and the one that she wanted and really wanted her to go with was one that was really just too expensive and what she thought was just a little bit outside of her budget. So she's like, um, we're going to go ahead and get her enrolled in this other one. It's not my first choice, but I feel like it's a good substitute. And, you know, through our conversation, I was, we were able to kind of get back and peel back the onions and say, well, the main, the only reason why she's uh, choosing that other school was from a cost standpoint. Um, so once we got through the financial plan and, and what she was on track for and kind of worked through her financial situation, you know, towards the end uh, of our time together, I circled back and I, I asked her if we could talk a little bit more about that decision uh, that she was making with her daughter. Um, and I ran, had some numbers prepared for her um, that essentially showed that she could afford to take her daughter to uh, that other school that was more expensive and kind of painted that picture of like where the money would come from and that it really wasn't going to affect any of the other goals that she wanted to accomplish. And as we kind of worked through that process, you could kind of see her eyes light up and, and she literally changed the school that her daughter was going to go to in high school. And I think about how that actually is going to shape her daughter going forward and, and for the future and her being able to make that decision with confidence. She was going to go a completely different route, right? Um, but once she gained confidence, clarity on her financial situation, that opened up the doors to identify, well, what's the best use for her money um, and where is it going to go? And she was able to kind of make a better decision for her and her daughter in the long term. Yeah, talk about something that changes the trajectory of somebody's life and 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 achieving a financial goal. I, you can see where that value all of a sudden just explodes uh, in that relationship. It does. Well, and we run into it all the time with families where maybe their income's changing significantly, whether they got a, a large raise or they started a business and the business is taken off and they're starting to get that influx of cash that's coming in that maybe they've never had. And the question becomes is, is where's that cash going to go? And they have all these competing objectives, right? Hey, I want to save for retirement. Hey, I might want to increase my lifestyle. I got to save for my kids, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and starting to break down those numbers and saying, all right, hey, this is what should be earmarked for your longer term goals. This is what should be earmarked for your shorter term goals. And this is the wiggle room and the decisions that you have for that extra money that's coming in, you know, really gains confidence and clarity for families and individuals to make you know, the decision that's best for them and empower them um, to be not only smart with their money, um, but, you know, live the life uh, to their fullest and accomplish what they want to. And, and of course, you know, going back to retirement, right, that is a probably the biggest life transition uh, that a lot of individuals and families are going to go through. Um, helping navigate that in a smart and direct way is right in our wheelhouse and something that I think a good financial advisor is going to help you do. So it's not losing sight of those end goals and matching up the finances and the money to help you achieve and accomplish them. Now, of course, you know, as we think about that a number two or the second items that comes back on those studies and on our client survey is, you know, a lot of families they want to make sure they're working with someone that has the skill set and is knowledgeable uh, in the industry to help them navigate these tough decisions. And while I did a quick search on the internet to try to figure out, well, how many financial designations are there out there? And some oh my astronomical <laughs> number came back. I thought it was going to be big, but there was some number like 200 different financial designations. I believe it. Now, well, after my jaw dropped, I was like, okay, well, 
let me back up a little bit. Maybe I shouldn't just search financial designations. Let me be a little bit more specific and say, hey, what can different financial advisors do and what designations can they get to show credibility and show their skill set and knowledge in our industry? And it seemed like that number was more realistic and, and was somewhere in the mid-20 range. So there's 20 different designations or things that can go after your name as a financial advisor to help differentiate yourself. And I could only imagine as someone interviewing these advisors, trying to understand what all this um, numbers and letters after their name are really trying to say, and how much work and how much went into actually getting those, right? Uh, even at 20, you know, 20, 25 different designations, I still feel like that's quite a bit for someone that's spent, meant to be a financial advisor in one profession. I don't know, Walt, does yeah. that seem still like a lot to you? Far cry from 200, but still, still a lot of spread. Decent. Still a lot of spread. And I know that certainly they're not all created equal in terms of what it takes to accomplish <laughs> some of those different designations, right? That's right. And, you know, I tend to boil it down to three big ones uh, in our industry. You know, the, the CFP, which is a certified financial planner, you know, generally um, to pass, you have to pass an exam that takes about 250 hours of study time on average, or at least that's what they claim uh, to be able to. To get it. Of course, some advisors might study quite a bit more than that or some less, but 250 hours of study and then pass an exam over a wide array of different financial planning topics. There's the CPA, which uh, I think the study time for that when I looked it up was somewhere between 300 and 400 hours of study. Uh, and that's, of course, um, your certified public accountant uh, designation. And then the final one, which I think is a little bit more uh, less well-known, uh, is the CFA or Charter Financial Analyst. And that one's uh, about 900 hours of study. You know, for me, I think it took me about three years, uh, three tests over three years to get. Um, now, of course, all three of these different designations, there's work requirements that you might have to do. There might be education requirements, such as certain bachelor degrees and such that you need. Um, but these three, I think, are the ones that stick out at, to me the most. Um, there are some designations out there to where, um, you know, you sit through an hour class and then you have the designation. That's a far cry and something that's very different than I think what you're getting for with someone that has these three uh, designations that we discussed. Now, of course, that's not the end all be all. I kind of look at those designations as like almost a bare minimum. Uh, it is a, a minimum uh, for uh, our, at our firm for uh, an advisor or a financial planner to sit down with families. They have to have at least one of those designations to do it. So that's almost a, a, at least, hey, this gets you into the door. And I think um, you know individuals that are looking for a financial advisor, that gives you a good starting point to say, hey, does this person or individual have at least one of these three designations? And then you can get a little bit more specific if there's something else after their name where you can run a quick search and find out, oh, hey, what was involved with getting that and what is that uh, designation trying to demonstrate? Makes sense, yeah. And I think that's great to at least have a few designations for folks to maybe focus on or learn a little bit more about versus having to sort through 20 or hundreds, depending on how you did that initial search. <laughs> that's right. Well, and, and, and I think, albeit, of course, uh, a financial advisor's skill set and knowledge is extremely important, but something that I would put just 
as high up on that importance list is the way that person communicates and explains financial concepts. And that's the third thing that I think that comes up in quite frequently, again, on this client, on our client survey that we do. Um, and then the other ones that we have, uh, that we spoke about early and, and that's, uh, families want someone that can communicate and explain financial concepts. Well, now it's hard, uh, for me to kind of dive into this. I mean, it is what it is, but I would say a way for me to gauge it or way I like to gauge it is asking yourself when you get done meeting with your financial advisor, how do you feel after that meeting? Uh, most meetings with your financial advisor, hopefully you should feel more confident and energized not from that, from that meeting and not in a situation where you go, boy, I got more questions than I have answers <laughs> out of those meetings, right? And judging, engaging how you end those meetings and how you're walking out of it, I think is a good starting point for you to kind of back into, well, how well is that financial advisor explaining some of these concepts to me and how well do I retain them and how comfortable do I feel with them? Yeah, I feel like that's very um, ubiquitous, perhaps, uh, across mm-hmm. all sorts of different industries or, or just areas of life, right? I, I love it. Uh, even if I'm just going shopping for something, I don't know, a TV, let's say, Tyler, mm-hmm. like I want to, if I walk away feeling like I learned something about the industry or about a new technology, just uh, always fills you up, right? Just knowing that you mm-hmm. learned something. Um, I always appreciate that. And I, and especially if we're talking about finances and retirement and investments and money and all these kinds of things, knowledge along the way, if you can accumulate some of that, no wonder that's in your, in your sort of top four list here. Sure. Well, and you have to get to a point to feel comfortable making these important decisions for yourself. Certainly there's trust there between the advisor uh, and the client, but at the end of the day, the client who's going to be making those decisions, that's who it's impacting. That's, that's whose life uh, is going to be changed or improved or not based off this decision. Uh, so it's very important to at least get to a point to where maybe you don't know all of the ins and outs and the details, but you're to a point to where you feel comfortable enough to make that decision that's going to be in your best interest uh, going forward. Now, the final one, we're getting to it, Walt. The last point I'm going to touch on is, what do you think? Uh, the last you one think you're going to hit the on. The last one is. Well, we, we still want people, I would imagine, uh, it's. It, I'm surprised it wasn't the top focus, <laughs> but it's going to be wanting that return on, on their investment, right? They want them to yep. g- give me the 10%. Give me something, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. My wife is, we, we hit it, right? Jen, here you go. The, st- we, the, the management the of the, the stocks funds. and the bonds. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and the mutual funds and ETFs and all those other good buzzwords that we have when uh, when we develop those portfolios. But yes, the final point we'll discuss on and it's in, on everybody's mind is, hey, can you help me maximize my returns? And there's no doubt returns are important. But as I kind of um, you know think about that and put myself in the client's shoes, I think it's extremely important important to think through what is your expectation from a return standpoint? And then have you had a conversation with your advisor on what their expectation is? Uh, They're the ones likely managing that portfolio. What are their thoughts on return expectations on the portfolio that they developed? And making sure that those marry and match up. So you're starting off on the same page right from the get-go. And then, of course, I think uh, another thing to dive down into that a little bit deeper is to ask your advisor and understand, well, what is your process on picking and choosing those investments. Is it rules-based or is it kind of willy-nilly and anytime you feel like you got a next good hunch, you're going to go ahead and make a change inside my portfolio. Uh, it just my my personality 
in my nature, but I feel like having that investment process um, and rules in place that the advisor has to follow when picking and choosing and managing those investments are going to put your put you uh, as the client in the best place uh, going forward. Because inevitably, we're going to r- go through times of market volatility. And we want to make sure that your advisor is making those decisions, not with emotion at the front, but a process in place and really almost just taking the emotion completely out of uh, those investment decisions. Um, And then the question becomes is too, how do they communicate those changes with you? And are you comfortable with that? I can't tell you how many times I sit down with individuals where they come in and we talk about how they work with their current advisor and they say, well, hey, we meet once a year and he or she comes in with a list and says, I should make this investment change for that one. And we agree on it. And we kind of go from there. And I always think back and say, well, hmm, I wonder when the advisor really wanted to make that investment change. And they just kind of had it sitting on the wayside for however many weeks or months until they, you came in and actually had the meeting to be able to present to you. Or, you know, hey, how do they know who who of their clients they call first when they want to make a change to the portfolio? So that that idea of like, well, how does your advisor communicate those investment changes? How much control um, do they have to actually make those investment changes for you? Um, All kind of stem off of this idea of putting yourself in a situation where, hey, my advisor is maximizing my returns and putting myself uh, in my portfolio and, you know, the best foot going forward. Uh, going forward. So, you know, those are just a couple tidbits or a couple of things I think of when I start thinking about, well, hey, um, we want an advisor that can maximize my returns. Very cool, Tyler. Thanks for the great breakdown of all these different elements. And uh, yeah, it's interesting to think about what's most important to people. And I know that's got to make you, even though it's on the list, it's got to make you feel good that, you know, at least it seems like the number one expectation isn't um, as much as like, I think the industry promotes it as like, give me the most money on my return. Like, there's a lot (laughs) of other things that people really value and find important too. Sure. Well, I mean, you think about our industry, Walt. I mean, I think it came uh, really out of the idea that insurance agents and uh, brokers wanted to sell more product. Put your money here. Hey, put your money in this product because it's going to get you X amount of returns. You know, that's how they sold them and that's how they sold financial plans the years that's changed substantially. Um, and I think we're getting to a place to where, yes, that's important, but there is a, a host of other things that work in conjunction with that uh, to put you and your family in a you know best situation going forward. Yeah, that word value is uh, more complex than maybe the way traditionally uh, financial products were sold and, and marketed. And, uh, and that's what's so great about having a good relationship with an advisor and somebody that's going to guide you through the complexities of the financial world. And if today's conversation has led you to ask any questions that you'd like some help figuring out uh, something about your specific situation, you can certainly dive into a conversation with the team at True Wealth Design. It's very easy to set up an initial conversation. You can do that by going to truewealthdesign.com and clicking on the Are We Right For You button. You can schedule a 15-minute call with an experienced advisor on the team that way. Again, just go to truewealthdesign.com and click the Are We Right For You button. We'll link to that in the description of today's show. You can also find the phone number there to call, which is 855-TWD-PLAN. 855-893-7526. Don't hesitate to reach out if you've got any questions about your financial future. Tyler, thanks for the great help on today's episode. Enjoyed the conversation and a little bit different angle today. I'll get that, uh, I'll get that um, egghead alert button queued up for next time. <laughs> Bring in, br- Sounds good. Br- bring yeah. us some deep terminology. It's been a, it's been a few episodes since we've been able to trigger that one. So br- bring an alpha or an omega or something like that with you. <laughs> 
Good stuff. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time right back here on Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.